Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Are you hungry for adventure? Do you crave hilarious and perilous tabletop campaigns? Don't bother rolling perception, pal. We've got you covered. Behold! Dungeons and Doritos, Nerdy Show's epic tabletop audio drama, a cinematic serial of mayhem-filled, morally questionable quests at DungeonsAndDoritos.com. Lightning Dogs, the official podcast presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdishow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property, but these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all-ages. So listen at your own discretion, baby. Woo! Sometimes a great idea is truly like a bolt of lightning. And sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment that it strikes. That's what happened for us one fateful night while recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show and in no time, our very lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and dog puns. Lots of dog puns. This is the story of Lightning Dogs, a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil glampire. Coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least, that's the goal. But how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated series? That's what we're here finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dogs since day one. From the moment of conception to every world-building session and planning meeting. And the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of Lightning Dogs live! Welcome to another episode of Lightning Dogs. Oh, howl, howl, not hooray. In our previous episode, we started hammering away at the brass tacks of our pitch Bible, distilling our doggy dream into its purest and most bite-sized form, something that would both spark an investor's imagination and make them see dollar signs. Our first step was putting a pin in our main characters, cementing the core character traits and backstories of the Lightning Dogs themselves. Cap and Doug split writing duties 50-50 and took on characters they had yet to spend some quality time with. In this episode, we'll finish off the final character profiles, dig deeper into what needs to go into a story bible, and solve a timeline mystery that defines the struggles of our characters. How long was the Great War? And how old were the Lightning Dogs when it started? 
Now, last time we discussed three characters. Well, I think we, we discussed uh, four last time. No, we didn't. We, we discussed didn't. three. Well, we discussed three lightning dogs and then the new hench character for Halloween Jack. Did we not do Dingo, Angela, no. Pierre, and Narisa? No, we, there was no Angela. Angela. Oh, we skipped Angela? Angela's on you. We were discussing you've, you've never, Angela. Oh, I never, got Angela down here. I just thought we already discussed no, her. You, no? you've, yeah, you'd never written Angela, so she was on your oh. list. We discussed Angela because of her relation to Sebastian. The, oh, no, you're right. We did. That's how she fit in. Okay. But, I mean, I got stuff down here for her. It's just... it's You, you better, know. Doug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're getting put in the kennel. This is... I mean, what I got... Okay. Well, then, where, where do we start? <laughs> Wherever you want. We might as well start with Angela. We might as well start with Angela. The this floor is, is yours. Okay, just don't well, piddle on it. All right. Well, this is what we got for Angela. This, granted, I'm pretty sure 100% of this was written by Cap. I just reformatted it onto this page, but let's go over it, and then we'll discuss it. Angela Bonehart, 40s. Rank, Sergeant First Class, Weapon of Choice, Long Range Rifles, and Hand to Hand. Power Set, Enhanced Strength and Durability. Personality, Bold, Tough, and Loyal, Does Things by the Book. Angela became a seasoned soldier and fought alongside Dingo in the last great conflict with foreign powers on Domus. They met during a tactical strike in the jungles. Dingo was an academy star, but green in the field. He was the last survivor in his platoon, in some part due to his loner nature. Angela had lost her team when her chopper was shot down. She was the only survivor. Together, the naive loner and the bullheaded marksman formed a powerful team and proved instrumental to their forces taking out the most prominent enemy stronghold in the region. After that, Angela took Dingo under her wing, almost like a son, and groomed him. Their personalities fueled one another, Dingo the all-star point man setting them up, while Angela knocking them down. The two developed a reputation, and when Angela was offered a position in special ops, she recommended Dingo as well. Goals? To keep her team alive. Fears? Being useless or helpless. Loves? A good challenge and beating the odds. Hates, signs of weakness, disrespect, and being told no. Only thing on that is just the same thing that we addressed with Dingo that Angela was Yeah, the recommendation thing. This came from before that, but yeah. And also, I, I previously supplied a unnecessary amount of childhood background information for we Angela, still have that which, it's just yeah right. it's just as far as the pitch bible is concerned i think maybe some lines would be needed to give more of an insight into who angela is as a before person before the war yeah outside yeah. of her military career fair enough the only reason that when i was shrinking this down i avoided that was because she is the most soldier of the group she is yeah but i do think maybe a sentence or two should at least you know because we have to assume something right people are going to come into this blind yeah not yeah. not knowing we have anything more necessarily mm -hmm. it's, you know sell the idea just though and i, I will say alive. this i will say this and so far as a pitch bible is concerned do we really need if it's not going to be relevant to the initial stories that we're telling does it need to be part of the pitch no but just some something just however, to give to, however brief i'll have to add something there that says that she had a life before the war and that she is the oldest one. I mean, she she's the oldest one. She definitely, she was an adult, I would yeah. imagine, when the war began. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's... One of those where she could have seen it coming. She could yeah. have seen the writing on the wall, so yeah. to speak. Um, you know what we also need to discuss is how long did this damn war actually last? We've danced around it. We've given out ideas, but we, we should probably nail down at some we, point. We, we have come close to a conclusion, yeah. but never specifically Never, never it. totally. We had this where Dingo is orphaned because of it, so clearly it was going on as he was a child, and it was at a point where they were attacking neighboring countries, and then he was old enough to join the army afterwards, and we haven't really addressed him being a child soldier. Yeah. And, I mean, I get that post-war he could have been doing these these black ops these special things so yeah. i think we were looking at eight to ten was the last couple numbers we threw out i think 
I think 10 is a safe number because that could yeah. take that could take Dingo from say age 10 to age 20. Yeah. Or even age 13 to age 23, and then we've got seven years of him doing special ops off the books. Yeah. I say that's a conversation to have either off the record simply because figuring out how long the war is is essentially just us looking at a clock and cross-referencing dates. Not necessarily integral to anything creative. Well, hold on a sec. Why don't we just pause right now and then come back and we'll have an answer. How many paws? Four paws? Are we quadrupeds? Two paws? Tony. <laughs> no. But I'm pausing right now. <laughs> All right. So we just took a surprising amount of time. <laughs> we literally time traveled. We took a trip through time and we talked about time extensively. There were, there were more physical challenges involved. I wish that I looked to see the time when yeah. we started so I would know how much time it took to create this timeline. About okay. 20 minutes. Uh, that's, yeah, 20, 20 seems about right. Here's what happened. <laughs> the war lasted for 12 years. Following that, there was seven years of reformation and the post-war boom of Doma society. That makes Dingo 12 at the moment the war breaks out, giving him enough time to have the tragic loss of the world he knew. Angela would be 24, giving her enough time to have been a successful law enforcement officer, as we discussed Way ages ago. Kane would be 21, starting within his career of academia. And probably already a dick. Probably. He's, yeah, he's, he's a college boy. He's not going to war. And Nerissa and Pierre would be 10 and 11. Kid would be born three years into the war. And we're going to find out exactly what that means for Kid very shortly. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that would make her 16 after the war's conclusion, the seven years of reformation. At the end of the war, that puts Dingo at 24, Angela at 36, Kane at 33, and Nerissa and Pierre at uh, 22 and uh, 23. Kid would be nine. That makes our final ages. Dingo, 31, Angela, 43, Kane, 40, Kid, 16, Nerissa, 29, Pierre, 30. Bingo! Uh, I got bingo um, across. We just did the boring stuff off the air so that you guys get the exciting stuff on the air. Let's leap into Kane then really quick. This is what I got for Kane Corso. No. Let's see how sweet this is. So Dr. Kane Corso, age 40. Rank rank civilian, master's expert and archaeologist. I'm curious, what was it before? Oh, what was his age before? Yeah. Late 30s. <laughs> so it worked out. <laughs> I mean, nobody's really changed. We've just yeah, solidified yeah, yeah. We and just, have yeah. a better idea. Yeah, we've got, we got and specific. And I'm just curious. Does that mean he has his master's in master's? Yeah. Why yeah. not? He's a doc- <laughs> it's his doctorate. Well, it's I'm, a doctorate. First he had his master's in master's, and now he has a doctorate in master's. Thank ah. you very much. Sorry. <laughs> and then if he was to study their weapon, would he have a doctorate in master blasters? Sure. Speaking of which, his weapon of choice is pistols and rifles. So he is an expert in master blasters. That's his weapon of choice. It's those are, That seems like a civilized kind of, you know, he's like a, more like, a, yeah, like, he's had know, experience hunting rifles. Because, uh, you know, Belloc would have a, of you course, know, a, a pistol. A, a derringer, yeah. you know, yeah. His power set is obviously enhanced hearing well beyond the average canine extent. Personality, brilliant and charming, conceited and irritable. Cain comes from a middle-class family, devout worshippers of the masters. As he grew, he rebelled against his cold, orthodox parents in a scientific crusade to prove that the masters were faulty beings no better than the average dog. During the Great War, Kane was at the forefront of a war within the war. Both sides scrambled for buried master tech that could give them an advantage. Kane quickly became one of the government's highest-valued assets at procuring these ancient secrets. After the war, Kane became a key player in the decoding and reconstruction of the Farfetched. It was during this time that he met Kid, as her conscription was key to solving the riddle of the device. Goals, to meet a master face-to-face, 
then promptly shame them. Fears, dying unenlightened, and the destruction of history. Loves, solving mysteries and puzzles that others find impossible. Hates, Luddites, anti-intellectualism, uncleanliness, and being underestimated. That explains why he's so irritated all the time, because people are probably going to look at him and go, meh. (laughs) That's solid, man. That's a, a compelling character right there. I mean, there's so much backstory that we talked about with archaeology and like the war within the war and all that fun stuff that I would love. Oh, man, that's a, each one of these is a comic before it even comes out. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is great. The only thing I would ask, and this doesn't need, need to appear on this page at all, is to the degree of loves and hates, you know, what are things that are less broad that he loves? Like, is there something that he More enjoys? specific. Something, you know, something, something in life that gives him satisfaction. Small things, you know, like Dingo loves that specific kind of cheeseburger and Teresa yeah. loves music. So, like, what actually delights Kane Corso? What pleasure would he seek out once he resigns to the fact that they're stuck in the wasteland? I would say curling up with a good book. He's definitely a reader. He's an avid oh, reader. For sure, yeah. The Sound of Caves. Caves? Yeah, the sound of caves, how you can hear if something settles deep within a cave, the echoes that kind of come back, the sound of dirt settling, yeah. of geodes. Here's the, yeah, here's the interesting thing. He does love being in the field, mm-hmm. like getting real work done and being at the forefront, like being the first person to know. So he takes a great amount of pleasure in ambient noises, Well, which sounds I. odd, but... I take pleasure in ambient noises all the time whenever I'm writing on anything. He's most comfortable in, in the saddle. saddle. <laughs> Come, I, 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 I would say a whole lot of walking. He probably enjoys walks, like long walks by himself, reading a book. And uh, oh no 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 oh 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 his his conflict with the masters. He loves going on walks. What did masters do with dogs? They took them on walks, which is a sign of subservience. So he's got this love hate, and maybe even he ties a little leash around himself sometimes. He, You're getting that's, uh, uh, that's, that's a that's a that's a private matter. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. But think of the it's, no, it's it's like he's got sometimes to, no. I I wear my collar under my shirt so no one can see that I'm actually no, wearing I mean, it. <laughs> rosary beads. Rosary beads that almost seem like either a collar or a leash or a choke collar yeah, maybe, training whatever. a dog. He now, enjoys walks. I mean, that goes into some very grim territory for the orthodox worship of the masters, which we could certainly explore, but I think under those circumstances, then Cain, though he's certainly very conflicted, a collar, if there's a collar for religious use, there would be nothing he would hate more. Well, I'm not saying he actually wears it. I'm just saying sort of that parallel between being walked and... Car- I, I see we, where you're we going. We talked about him carrying the rosary beads out of habit almost hating them but carrying them yeah there's not really a dog equivalent to the rosary beads and we'd either need to make them something unless it's a leash but that's right but it's like i mean because the rosary beads are something that's designed for you to carry with you and a collar is designed to be worn and the collar man you know if you walk into that church and you put on a collar that's very symbolic yeah and, and i can't imagine a guy like him if that happened to him in a dream he would wake up angry yeah I just I can't get away now from this idea that he likes walks and yeah. he hates that he likes. Well, walks. anybody can no, like anybody can walk. A, a, a dog like he, without he, a master likes walking. Yeah, know? like like no, him going on a walk is like saying fuck the masters. I walk myself. You know, like I go where I want. He can wander. The point I'm getting at with him liking long walks by himself, reading a book. He likes being alone and making his own choices. He likes independence. You know, which goes with him wanting to shame a master like he wants to meet a master face to face see that it's flesh and blood like him and be like hey look what i did all without you fuck you he wants to feel superior 
He wants to prove that he can be superior to the masters. Still looking forward to that moment where he's sitting there and trying to say all that to the bad masters that show up, and one of them just issuing the command to shut up, and he does. Yeah. Oh, man. Just like that, he's got no choice. They pull like a laser weapon on him or something. Yeah, dude, if Kane's still around when the bad masters show up, that's fucking, that's going to be great moments. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so on to Kid. Age 16, rank civilian, master's expert, computer wizard. Weapon of choice, crystal battery grenades. I had considered putting in letting others do her fighting for her, but that sounded like she was a mastermind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she's sitting there, dance, my puppets, dance. Right, right. (laughs) But she really isn't, uh, at least not at the beginning, she's not going to be really into skirmishes, but she'll be involved charging the crystal battery stuff and maybe throwing them. Anyway, power set generates an electric charge of varying strength. Personality, delinquent computer prodigy on the mend. Somewhat abrasive and sarcastic, but quick to seek approval. Bio. Kid is only 16, but she's had a hard life. At the age of 12, she ran away from a violent home and quickly fell in with a dangerous crowd. Her knack for slicing computers gave her notoriety, but her uncanny ability to understand and reprogram ancient master technology made her legendary. Kid was able to survive as a cyber criminal for a while, but lacking any true emotional connections, she turned to the past for solace, particularly in the legacy of the masters, and became an expert in her own right. Eventually, her curiosity led to an arrest after hacking into several unhackable government servers. Since they were based on master subsystems, Kid was one of the only dogs on Domus capable of understanding the data that she found. In Juvie Candle, she was offered a choice, reform and work for the government decoding the secrets of the masters, or spend the next 10 years behind bars. The choice was easy, but reforming would prove to be tricky. Goals? To find a pack where she truly belongs. Fears? Ridicule, screwing up, and dying alone. (laughs) Loves? anything to do with the masters hates liars authority figures and greed very solid yeah i I got nothing to add to that and it all kind of ties in with the idea of some of the things we were just kind of jabbering about potentially you know the the home that she is adopted into being abusive with them being objectors Mm -hmm. but that violent objector home that she's adopted into provided that her parents died during the war i'm good with that i'm good with her parents i I didn't i didn't know much about her parents but i just had this image of her being in an abused like physically abusive family oh yeah because again once you survive a war what would make you want to run away you know if you Mm -hmm. went through these people but if these were just shitty people but you brought up the fact that maybe these aren't her biological parents and i'm like dude that would make so much sense why she's a brilliant computer scientist she's a genius and her quote-unquote parents were so shitty if they were, like, adoptive, that makes total sense. What's that great line from Terminator 2? She's not my mother, Todd. That's the one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Dude, I didn't even realize the comparison to John Connor. We talked about a kid being, like, a surrogate John Connor. It was right there in front of us the whole time. And she needs to have adoptive parents. But, of course, her shittiness towards those adoptive parents would be valid yeah. because they're they're actually shitty. Whereas, you know, Todd is, he might be a doof, but he's doing his best. <laughs> This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I want her to be on a quest for a, an ancient relic of Master Society because of just how 90s Called we a, made her. a slap bracelet? No. Uh, <laughs> the, the power glove? No. <laughs> Better still. What are we doing here? A Lisa Frank trapper keeper. They kept all the most important documents I, in the world in here. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Lisa Frank was one of their, a, their greats. As, as much as I love Lisa Frank, she is not very cyberpunk. True. I know. It doesn't have to be cyberpunk. It just has to be ridiculously 90s and indicative of everything the kid is. I think she shouldn't even know what a trapper keeper is. But then when they, they get to Earth, it's like, what is this? Now, she might not. <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm not saying she knows what it is. She's just heard of it. Mm-hmm. And she knows that people wanted it. That sounds like a powerful weapon. Trapper Keeper. There might be something there. Might but be but also, somewhere. the 90s was a long time ago. On Earth, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every single head on Futurama, despite the fact that it's thousands of years in the future, was still a mid-2000s celebrity. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what, what was up with that. Um, anyway, my, my one suggestion would be, with the weapon of choice, I imagine that being on the run, having a propensity towards grenades... I mean, certainly something she could get good at. Yeah. I mean, these were basically, when we discussed these, these were basically crystals that she charges to the point of exploding and right. then throws them. Which is a cool lightning dog related right. thing. But as far as prior expertise, I think she might rig up a laptop, uh, <laughs> self defense things, like a taser, like weird small tasers and other like self defense things. Like when Tony Stark and Iron Man 3 built that little hand uh, glove shocker device. Yeah. Things that, you know, things that buy her time, like they don't take outright take somebody out, but they buy her time. So she can keep running. Kid doesn't need a weapon. The weapon of choice that she has is only something that she gets once she gets to Earth. At 16 and somebody who's a tech genius who has spent the majority of her life running from things and avoiding getting hurt isn't necessarily going to engage in weaponry. Well, that's why I'm saying gadgets. I'm about about to say something. I can't believe I'm going to say what this is. She needs a power glove. <laughs> it's like she needs a cyberpunk did, did, power glove. Did we discuss glove. this? We did I, we, like a long no, time back, had, but we uh, never discussed. It would make sense. She's living in a cyberpunk domus underground yeah. society. I'm not saying literally the Nintendo power glove, but she needs the equivalent canine power glove. Not that it's a from power a, paw. Yeah, but not from like a gaming console. She just builds wearable technology on her paw that allows her to plug in, much like John Connor, into the ATM. Easy money, ba boom, you know, in and, and out and very closely resembles but is legally distinct from the yeah. nintendo power glove yes yes and then you can easily modify that in the wasteland to be like all right if someone tries to grab me zap and yeah, especially it can channel her power exactly but i don't see her as be, a fighter right and no no i agree 100 percent. and i think this can be how she discovers her power she's got the power glove on i'm just calling it the power glove for reference's sake power paw trade tra- yeah power paw trademark pending she brings the power paw with her to earth because she's thinking, the master's there, and I'll be able to plug in and learn all this stuff. She gets there, and it's a wasteland. And she's like, well, damn, the battery dies on it. Then Farfetch blows up. She gets her power. She wakes up, and she's like, huh, this thing charged up. I'm like, that's weird. I could have sworn the battery died. <laughs> it's like it's just from sitting on her, she's charging it up. So that's something that's never going to run dry on her. And she might end up burning it out, probably, because oh, yeah. she's too powerful. Yeah, yeah. And then have to rebuild a better one. Yeah. 
to your point, Tony, she's not going to pick a fight with someone directly in a, in a physical conflict way, but she's going to always try to cheat the system. And there's always going to be someone, whether it's a security guard or a police officer, who's trying to run her down. And in that event, she's got to be faster and smarter and sometimes do something that's going to electrocute them. Yeah. Like Kevin McAllister like, style. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now I'm thinking Cyberclaw. It might need to sound goofier than that. <laughs> I, I still like the Power Paw. Power Paw is not bad. I think there's a better name, but yeah. we, we, we won't. I'm, I'm down for a better name. We're going to find it yeah. here now. So that's, that's it. That's six lightning dogs. The question now uh, is, how else do we build out the Bible? Yeah. Obviously, we need short bios for key villains. Uh, it, it's okay even you know to not have it fleshed out as much as these. Like, Glampire probably needs... A page to himself. Yeah. Like, much like just like his own profile page like we've just did for the dogs. Yeah, and Halloween Jack as well, probably. But characters that have so much room to grow and don't require a history to explain much right now in this pitch Bible. Captain you know, Scrap. We, Captain Scrap. Yeah. We can give everybody a solid paragraph. In one of our, our pieces of reference, the, the Doug Bible. That's Doug, the animated show produced by Nickelodeon and Disney, not, you know, our Doug. Listeners might remember we discovered that Doug was one of the most detail-oriented shows of its era, and tracked down an original 1997 series production guide from the sixth season. It's easily been one of the most influential pieces of TV development reference in our arsenal. For example, they have a page of episode summaries, like potential episode summaries. We're talking like three sentences per episode, mm -hmm. just like, like the briefest descriptions. Doug's last birthday. It's the end of summer and Doug faces a sea of change. He starts in a new school next week. His favorite band, The Beats, have announced their breakup. Oh, boy. And Roger shows up rich. Trying to put a halt to it all, Doug cancels his birthday. <laughs> Will Doug learn to steer through life's inevitable twists and turns? That's like first episode. Well, yeah, that, that is actually the first episode of, of, the, of the first season. season. Yeah, yeah. Doug's Patty Beef. Doug is certain God, the new snooty club Patty is it. rushing the junior daughters of the founding mothers and fathers is pure <laughs> evil and sets out to rescue her. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's also an episode that 100% happened. Doug, a limited corporation. Needing money to see the Beat's final concert, Doug gets a job at his grandmother's craft shop. Not finding the riches he expected in hockey needlepoint kits, Doug decides to go for broke. Also an episode that happened. Yeah. But these are just the pitches of like where they wanted to go. And it sounds yeah. like what Cap's saying, like, is that all of the, all of these have happened. So, I mean, that's good they, they, because these two sentence summaries became a real thing. They have sections broken down into miscellaneous grownups in town. And they're all like a couple sentences. Yeah, right? just a couple sentences. Yeah. There'd be like six or seven per page. And also they have a group by families in town. We could group it by gangs of the wasteland, people who, you know, band together. So I think our next focus should then be a write up for Jack. And Glampar. Yeah. Who else? Who else needs it? Definitely smaller three sentence ones for ones like Captain Scrap, Robots, mm -hmm. and Antarctica. Is they think that's like early game season one stuff? I think that might be, that might be in a page of Concepts. explaining the wasteland. Season yeah. one is just Jack and Glampar. Mostly, yeah. I mean, like I'd, I'd imagine well, yeah, we don't actually know Scrap, how yeah, long season know. one is, but if we're assuming it's like a twelve episode series of half hour episodes or fifteen minute episodes, which could technically double our amount of episodes depending on how we want to play it let's tag back to our wiseman bibles gargoyles in mm -hmm. particular first season it's all about xanatos really there were also monster of the week style things where they'd set up characters like dr savarius and cold stone is that i think you, i think you're you, the creamery where the ice cream no, for the attacking the, new york the, the gargoyle that saw a bunch of gargoyles and cybernetics stuck together yeah really tragic guy 
say we're looking at the first turtles, we had Shredder, Krang, Bebop, Rocksteady, and I haven't seen this Bible, but I you know just based on yeah knowledge, and that's it. And then maybe they'll be like, and here's some other stuff that could happen. Here's some rock soldiers. Here's some neutrinos. Doctor Baxter Stockman. Yeah, Baxter Stockman is, a, and he has these mouser robots. You know, and Baxter may have gotten a quarter page because that was going to be an early thing that happened, and they were going to establish that something terrible was going to happen to him. I'm looking at the Bruce Tim Batman animated writer's guide right now. Yeah. Each of their villains is a full page of text. I mean, granted, these are established. Those are, those are also Batman's rogues right, gallery. Right, right, And I get that. This is a writer's guide, so it's not like the pitch Bible. All the major villains have their own page. Like yeah. uh, Freeze, Penguin, Joker has like a page and a half to two pages. Um, but they have a page here at the bottom for other characters. And these are other random ones. Like yeah. uh, two or three sentence descriptions for the Ventriloquist, Calendar Man, Hugo Strange, Clayface, Mad Hatter, Killer Croc, Man Bat, Gentleman Ghost. These are all like, you know, two to three sentences. Also, they have ones for Man, I, I, episode premises. I want to read that page because there's a bunch of shit they never did. Like what? Well, like uh, Gentleman Ghost and Calendar Man. I believe they didn't end up doing. They did Calendar Girl instead. Yeah, uh, ca- Calendar Man says, all it says is a thief who stages his crimes around calendar gimmicks, days of the week, zodiac signs, holidays, etc. That's it. That's him in a nutshell, but, uh, but they didn't even use him. So as far as the question of what do we want to do and what do we want to see in the first season? We definitely need... A page about Glampire, maybe half a page about Halloween Jack. Definitely need a page, if not two, about the wasteland itself, the world that they're that they're in. Yeah, that's a two pager for sure. If it's not, we're not doing our jobs. Yeah. At least a page of two to three sentence episode descriptions. It's not like super locked in of like this is for sure how this is going to be, but these are like, hey, these are the kind of ventures they go on. I don't know what you're talking about, Doug. Every single sentence we write is 100% canon from the second we say it. I'm trying to think of a thing to counteract that but so far pretty much everything's happened <laughs> um i got one for mm-hmm. the first season what one thing that could be a half page or more what the diamond dogs oh yeah we got to write up a, i was like the, I, the whole this whole time been like there's something really obvious. no i know yeah we yeah, i was thinking the same thing yeah definitely i would at least as much as halloween jack diamond dogs those are gonna be a big and, and big i'd say on their side very potentially more because you know the authors of the show us and anybody else we choose to bring on should know full and goddamn well what the diamond dogs are really so it all makes sense when it all ties together well as far as a pitch bible goes oh you know true we just pitch bible explain. and writer's bible oh writer's my guy different yeah. things. what's up what what's you up, got Tony? red paws oh that they're red paws that at least the leader of them is the red paw that took dingo in possibility this is interesting I guess dramatic, it depends uh, on what we choose to do with the red paws because we you know I, I thought the idea was that they were like maybe all, maybe no, all dead as far as dingo knows they are maybe this one in particular went black ops same way the dingo would wind up going black ops Maybe that's one of the reasons that Dingo was selected. It wasn't Angela that recommended him, but someone else. And then that person was selected to be the first member of this team. It's an interesting thought. Going to home. Especially if someone's like, hey, hey, you know, Dingo, you got a, you got a lot of friends like upstairs. And like, you know, like Dingo looks over Angela. Okay, well, I said friends, plural, but like, you know, I just probably just Angela, but not probably just Angela. Yeah, if it needs... That now, personal conflict? Oh, we absolutely then, yeah. need that personal yeah. conflict. I right. mean, it is unlikely that there wouldn't be at least some knowledge of each other between the military people or right. those respective teams. But who is it? And, like, Did it end good or bad between them? That's the question. And that's what we can figure out. All we need to know yeah. is that it's there. Them and the Terriers. They're the Goro of this land. <laughs> <laughs> A list of the short mentions. Plant Guy, Queen Lich, Nagel, Captain Scrap. Potato People. Maybe on a page for for denizens of the wasteland wasteland things, you know, like the weird waifu goblin, uh, you know, like maybe he's on a list. (laughs) He is. Oh, taku. You know, I said everybody's got a comic book. He's got a manga. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know if the glass spiders need a page or if they just need to get mentioned. That's wasteland like, thing. That's, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's vehicles and things. Yeah, we do need a page about vehicles as a sub thing of the wasteland. All we need to do at that point is just grab the various things that Max has sent and just put that there. Well, yeah. true, and the images will will say a lot, but I'm sure we can just we can, say like these these are the vehicles of the lightning dogs. Here's this. It's codenamed this, and it's built for this. And these these vehicles will be destroyed and rebuilt, and so on, and like the notes that need to be made. I think that's season one. That's that's plenty for season one. Yeah, yeah we'll probably come up with some stuff. But as we're coming up with episodes, that's, that's the things we know. You know what this means, Tony? We need art. I think I know a guy. <laughs> Who do you recommend? <laughs> the conversation doesn't end here. This was a massive recording session. In our next episode, the conversation shifts to planning out our long-discussed, never-solidified opening story arc. What in the VHS era would have been collected and sold at supermarkets and blockbuster videos as Lightning Dogs, the movie. We didn't realize it at the time, but these past two episodes mark a turning point in Lightning Dogs as a project. There's still lots of changes and tweaks to details like rank and age, modifications to backstories here and there, but the foundation is now fully laid for both our characters and the construction of the pitch bible. You can see all this hard work for yourself in Lightning Dogs Sketchbook 1. Our compilation of our favorite production art so far, along with final stats for each of the Lightning Dogs and details on their vehicles. Glampire, Jack, Queen Lich, and other supporting characters from the Wasteland. You can buy digital or physical copies on the Nerdy Show store, or get a digital copy with your subscription to the Lightning Dogs Patreon at $5 or more. Oh, there is one other thing. You might remember in that last episode, Cap gave us a last name for Pierre that had a mixed reception. So we got Pierre. My at least pending last name for him is Barre, which is uh, B-A-R-R-E with a thing on it. And done with it. Yes. Doug? I picked it before realizing that it phonetically, from an American's mouth, sounded like beret. It was not actually picked to mean that joke, but it may be overdoing it significantly. Nope. So I, 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 It's approaching it. Maybe it's bar? I don't He's know. He's also not I mean, Pierre I, Croissant. Yeah, but it may as fucking well be if it's beret. Pierre Cigarette. I am. I Pierre am. Accordion. Why are you just saying things with a French affectation? Pierre Le Mime. <laughs> well, uh, we'll we'll change that maybe. And change it we did. Before we forget, Cap did give us another a last name for Pierre. Gagnon. Is it Ga- is it Gagnon? Gagnon. I'm gonna assume it's Gagnon, but I I've never never French ever. They generally have <laughs> ever. not even on the first date. <laughs> traditionally if they follow if it follows the same sort of pronunciation rules of spanish and latin odds are that the a is going to be a silent or the the short sounding a it's french for guard dog yeah and i found it in a list of last names french last names oh really so i wasn't looking for dog related names you found the last name i just found it as a last name so that's cool yeah that is a french name hey (laughs) why don't you google gagnon and find out how to say it gagnon gagnon he fights that link kid in that land of highest rules. Gagnon. Okay. <laughs> I now want to know how they pronounce Baldini. I am curious. Baldini. Yeah, that's, that's close actually pretty close. It's been quite a gap since our last episode came out. We're sorry about that. This summer has kicked our collective tails. There's been no shortage of toil at our day jobs, as well as traveling. And something else. What was it? Oh, right. A hurricane. There were days without power and ludicrous amounts of yard cleanup and general destabilization. Fortunately, we made it out fine in the end, but all of our projects are running tragically behind. So where did we leave things off? 
Oh, we haven't even talked about Megaplex yet. Megaplex was awesome. Cap, Doug, Local Shop, and I had a blast meeting people and doing dirt cheap sketches. We even did an art jam of Kane and Kid hanging out with Taku. We'll link to where you can see it on this episode's page. I can't wait for you guys to see that one. Megaplex was also the site of our first Lightning Dogs panel. It was called, Don't Let Your Dreams Be Dreams! And a bunch of you were kind enough to come out and hear our saga of making dumb ideas come to life. Oh, and one other thing happened. A very strange thing. Here's Cap and Doug talking about it on a recent episode of Nerdy Show. We met a lot of cool people. We had a lot of fun. It was an experience. It was an experience. Definitely an experience. We met the human version of one of our lightning dogs. Yeah, that was interesting. (laughs) How would you even begin to explain... Well, there, there's a lightning dog named Pierre, yeah. and he's tall, and he has a, a poodle afro. Mm-hmm. He's in a martial arts, and his superpower is running. Mm-hmm. We met a guy who was all of that except not a poodle. Yeah. <laughs> he was and, the, yeah, the human version. And he saw Pierre on the page and was like, holy shit, that's me. Yeah. And then as we talked to him more, we discovered, oh, that is you. Yeah. And he, At first, it, it was just like, ha, 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 passing resemblance. Then yeah. the longer we talked, it was like... What? What? Like <laughs> this, this? This is this a joke? Like you just came by and just say yes to everything that we're asking you? Of like you know, are you? Oh, you do you do, do any martial arts? Yes. Oh, you know, do you, do you like cheeseburgers? Yes. Do you like to run fast? Yes. It's like I have all these things you, stacked up. Have I, you ever fought a glampire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't just answering yes. It was yes and yeah. It was yes and yeah. yeah. <laughs> so sleep well tonight, knowing that somewhere out there there's a lightning dog running around in a human suit doing martial arts and breaking hearts. Rumor has it he's working on a Pierre cosplay, which, yes, would be the first Lightning Dogs cosplay ever. And that's not all. We've got four new patrons since our last update, which is amazing. But one of those patrons, well, he really shocked us. He became a patron during our Megaplex panel. So please welcome to the pack Tomato Goatee, Neos 8, Dead Phoenix, and Garrier. These amazingly generous champions of justice have invested in bringing Lightning Dogs to life, and you can too. They've been enjoying a slew of early release behind-the-scenes podcast episodes and artwork, as well as our Patreon-exclusive Wasteland Drive-In podcast, where we discuss films that have inspired Lightning Dogs. Coming very soon, we'll be uploading audio from the Megaplex panel to patrons at $5 or more. If you can't afford a monthly contribution, then consider picking up a Lightning Dog sketchbook or t-shirt. All the money goes back into development for the series and seeing that we're able to reach our lofty goals, including hiring Greg Wiseman, creator of Gargoyles and co-creator of Young Justice, to review our pitch bible. We couldn't do it without you. Seriously, folks, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for supporting us and bearing with us through this summer of sparse releases. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode of Lightning Dogs. Hashtag pound sign hell noise, the game. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 